Thank you, Dave. Good morning, everybody. So we're coming to the end of 2 Timothy, a study that we've been enjoying, I certainly have, uh, since the second week in September. David White will take us across the finish line in two weeks. Now turn with me to chapter 4. In chapter 4, we find what I would call the very last words of the Apostle Paul, which have survived. No doubt he wrote many other letters, but the Holy Spirit did not seem fit to bring them into the canon of Scripture. But these last words were probably written either in 66 or 67 A.D., perhaps within days of his death, which was ordered by Nero, the jealous and wicked emperor of Rome. But let's be clear, death did not silence the Apostle Paul. His servant was not silenced as Satan had hoped. Martyrdom had the opposite effect. For, 40, for 80 generations, including our own, Christians have been blessed by Paul's charge to Timothy and his farewell instructions that we look at today and over the next two weeks. And I would add this. Legions of men and women have been inspired by our passage today to share the good news that Jesus saves and that he's coming again to make all things right. So follow along as I read 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. What a great passage. I want you to know that I was hopeful that we could come to a high point on this day of transition, but it was going to be two weeks ago, but in the providence of God, it's today, and this is the passage to guide us. And so there's a generational wonder here, a privilege for all of us to see. Look at verse 1. I charge you. What a phrase. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. This is a weighty statement. You would be, be hard-pressed to find a statement quite like it in all of the New Testament. 
with a serious and solemn overtone that you might hear in a courtroom when someone is testifying under oath about their life. But this is a Christian charge, which is a compelling command to a sacred duty. The phrase, look at it, in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ tells us who is watching. I can imagine Paul face to face with Timothy saying something like this, Timothy, I may be gone soon, but the God you serve will not. Look at the phrase next, who is to judge the living and the dead? Is Paul telling his disciple, he's saying here, take this charge seriously. For Christ will hold you, my son, accountable. And then the phrase, and by his appearing and his kingdom, tells us that he is coming back. And when that day comes, think about it, the Lord's prayer will be answered. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now in verse 2, we come to a high point or what you would call the apex of this letter. Here's Paul. This is what he's saying. Timothy, everything I have ever told you or ever did in my ministry comes down to this. Your calling is to preach the word. And the word, he writes in 2 Timothy, is the sound doctrine that he has received from the Apostle Paul. This is the truth and the faith and the good deposit. Those are words that he used. This is the scripture God breathed out that we would hold in our hands if we take up our Bibles. What an amazing idea. And this same charge to preach the word has been given to the church across time in the 1st, the 10th, the 15th, the 20th, and yes, right today to the 21st century. And it's an urgent proclamation. For everyone on this planet has the opportunity to hear these words, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's a life or death message that demands a response. That God by his mercy and grace has made a way for us. By the wooing of the Holy Spirit to turn from sin. And by the gift of saving faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And think about the alternative. And if that does not happen, listen to the words of Jesus who said, whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. This is a life or death message. Look at verse 2. Timothy tells Timothy, or Paul tells Timothy, what to do and how to do it. Take note, this was a personal letter for Timothy, but it is not private the Lord Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, preserved Paul's words for 80 generations so that the whole church could trust and obey with joy, no matter the circumstance. Verse 2. So this morning, all of us can learn from Paul's counsel to Timothy to better serve as ambassadors for Christ when he wrote this. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke. And exhort with complete patience and teaching. It's Paul's way of saying to him and to us, be ready. Whether it's convenient or not. You don't know how many times I receive a text message or an email or I hear that ping where my phone is somewhere in the house 
maybe from one of you, and it's not convenient to pick up. You don't know how many times I thought to myself, Sunday's coming, but it's not convenient this week. Whether it's your day off or not, you need to be ready. Whether the Eagles are playing or not, you need to be ready. I thought about this as an illustration. When a fire breaks out, the firefighters don't look at their watches. They run out of a deep sleep sometime, down poles, get dressed literally as they're running to their trucks, assembling to save humanity. And especially when they hear these words on their headphones, mayday, mayday, mayday. These three words are a distress call used around the world. It's an emergency protocol, and it means that a firefighter is trapped, injured, or missing. Mayday, mayday, mayday. Every pastor, every Sunday should be saying that about these days that we're living in now. The world is on fire, and we must be ready, Paul told Timothy. We must be ready to respond. And Paul tells Timothy and us how to respond. Look at it. We teach as needed, correcting errors, rebuking sin and rebellion, and always offering encouragement. Remember this. Satan is always tempting us to despair. That place in our minds and hearts where we lose hope. Finally, our duty must be carried out, and here's an interesting word, with patience. This is a word full of meaning in Greek. Paul, when he used it, describes the spirit which never grows irritated or annoyed as it energizes God's servants not to lose heart but to believe and to trust in the power of Christ to change lives. Paul is saying, be patient, Timothy. God will do it. And why are these attributes and attitudes so important? Look at verse 3 and 4. Paul wrote, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears... They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away. I used to live over here with these friends and these ideas and these habits, but I'm hearing another voice. And it grows stronger and stronger and stronger, and I turn away. To accumulate teachers for themselves to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. There is an urgency in these two verses. But I want you to note something. Paul tells Timothy that the time is coming. I would say the time has come. This is our day. Two weeks ago, I spoke from chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, where Paul uses 19 expressions to describe the wicked people living, living in the last days. The first two phrases that he used, lovers of self and lovers of money. And the last two, which are the longest, 
lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the form or the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. It looks good, but there's no reality. Paul describes in those five verses a difficulty that he calls a time of passion, a time of fierce difficulty. And in the past 20 years, and I would say particularly in the last five, we've encountered a perfect storm of never-ending crises which were described by the Apostle Paul 2,000 years ago. In verse 3 and 4, what Paul does is he adds to the list. It's like he says in his own mind, you know what? I wrote verses 1 to 5, but I left a few things out. He writes this. People will turn away from the truth. They don't want it. They itch for something else. So they seek out teachers who will satisfy their passions and they wander off in the midst. But take note. We, the church, the followers of Christ, are not out of danger here. Let me give you just one example. I decided not to go down all the lists of religious ideas and philosophies and the different isms in our culture today, but to use something that's closer to home. We all own handheld devices that tempt us every waking moment to click, to text, to type, to swipe, to listen, to play, to watch, and to buy. They are rarely turned off and most often always in hand. And seduced by anonymity, we post and text, and write late into the night. This is why we need preaching that makes us wise to lies of the world. And the focus of our preaching, according to the Apostle Paul, writing to Timothy, is it must be Jesus. Preach the word, he says. Over and over and over, he says, preach the word. Hebrews tells us to run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who said this about himself, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And I would say to myself, and to David, we need preachers and leaders who will tell us what God has to say. Preachers like David White, who are set apart, as described by Paul in verse 5, with these convictions and priorities. Look at it. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. The phrase, as for you, is repeated here for the third time. I can imagine again Paul looking at Timothy and saying this, Timothy, remember your conversion, your calling, your commission, and my coaching. Keep your head. Pray for endurance. Evangelize. And don't ever give up. Don't give up. And then in verse 6 to 8, Paul gives Timothy a final challenge by speaking about his death and the sure hope that Jesus will reward his people who have endured. 
I hear him saying to Timothy, I'm counting on you to fulfill your ministry. I am at the point of death. I can sense it, which is why it is vital for you to continue and complete what I have started by the mercy and the grace of God. And I'm praying for you even to my last breath every single day. I love you, my brother. Verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Paul has preached for 30 years. He has put more miles on than the frequent flyers of the 21st century, especially on sea and walking on land. But he knows in his spirit that the end of his life is close. He knows this. But the word he uses in Greek, in English, the phrase is already being poured out, is the word for sacrifice. And it literally means, here's what it means, to pour out a libation to the gods. That's what he's describing his life, sacrifice to be. Pouring out a libation to the gods. Every Roman meal ended with a libation, which is when a cup of the best wine was poured out into a bowl as an offering to their gods. But Paul was not thinking of himself as going to be executed. No, he was offering his life to God. It was not taken from him. He was laying it down. And one additional thought about this verse. The word in Greek that Paul uses for departure, look at it is very unusual with many meanings. Departure. It was used to describe the unyoking of an animal from a cart or a plow. Paul's way of saying death for Paul was freedom from toil. It's a word for loosening bonds. Death for Paul was a liberation so that he could go into the courts of heaven. And it was used for loosening the ropes of a tent. Here's the idea that for Paul, it was time to strike camp and begin another journey. And finally, it was used to describe removing the mooring ropes of a ship. Now the apostle is crossing the waters of death to arrive in the haven of eternity. Verse 7. I have fought the good fight. <clears throat> I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. The year that Eric graduated from high school, on a particular night of the week in late June, or I think it might have been maybe July, I wrote out a post-it note and I set it on the counter, Eric dinner with Colin Powell. He said he came home and he saw that and thought, what does that mean? I mean having dinner with Colin Powell? Well, I, have, I had a friend, his name was Peter Lowe. And Peter used to travel all over America and rent great stadiums and bring in great speakers. And then they would have a business session about communication and about efficiency and all kinds of tools that you could use as an entrepreneur to be a better capitalist and bottom line, make more money. 
And for this particular one, Colin Powell and Evander Holyfield were the ones that were highlighted on the program. And so Becky and Eric had dinner with Colin Powell and Evander Holyfield. Now my friend allowed every single person at the dinner table to ask one question. And Becky, who loves questions, said to Evander, here was her question, what's the hardest thing for you to do in a fight? And tell me what your mom thinks about your boxing. <laughs> well, he said, my mother is my biggest fan, but she never watches me fight. She said, I can't imagine the thought of seeing somebody punch you in the face. And the hardest thing about what I do, he said, was getting off the stool back into the fight between the rounds. Paul was down a lot, but he was never out. His endurance was legendary. He told the Corinthians, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, <clears throat> then I am strong. And one more thing about that dinner. So when Eric and Becky got to the car to go home, Eric said, Mom, did you see his ear? And she goes, who? What are, you, what are you talking about, his ear? Mom, didn't you see Evander Holyfield's ear? Mike Tyson bit off his ear. Took a big chunk out of it. Yep. June the 28th, 1997. And for that bite, Tyson was disqualified because he broke the rules. And Evander was declared the winner. You know, I love the internet for things like this. Because I was able to go online and see the ear right after the fight. Pretty gory and pretty bloody. Now back to our story. <laughs> Paul told the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And so that now in our story, there is nothing remaining for the Apostle Paul to do but to wait for his prize with assurance and confidence. You see, Paul lived his life in Christ by the rules. He honored his Lord and obeyed him. In Acts 24, 16, he told Governor Felix, I always strive to have a clear conscience toward God and toward men. And so I would say to you, think about the Apostle Paul. Think about yourself. Think about your goals and your desires and your aspirations. You might be young or middle-aged or old like me. But think about it. It is really hard to start down the right path. But I say to you, it is a lot harder to finish on it. And this is what Paul is writing all about. Verse 8. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. 
All scholars agree that the image of a crown that came into the mind of the Apostle Paul was the evergreen laurel wreath, the most valued prize in the Greek games. Yes, it would wither and fade, but not the crown of righteousness given by the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Emperor Nero declared Paul guilty in a human, in a human, human court, condemning him to death for a crime he did not commit. But Paul knew without a doubt, that a day was coming when the judge of the universe would reverse the verdict of man, declaring Paul righteous by the blood of the Lamb. The closing thought of John Stott's commentary on 2 Timothy is wonderful. He writes this. Unbelievers dread the coming of Christ if they even think about it at all. And they will shrink in shame at his coming. But believers, having been justified, look forward to it and should set their hearts upon it. For being ready for it, they will have boldness when Christ Are you bold today? Are you full of joy with anticipation at the thought that this might very well be the last communion service that we ever need to attend? In a moment, I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul tells us what we're doing and how to do it. But he has this phrase that he uses. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. After he comes, we don't need to remember the Lamb of God upon the cross for sin. Now he has made all things right and the memory of our rebellion is washed away as was our sin. And now we rejoice with King Jesus to rebuild the world and the universe as he has always designed to please him. And so I want us to finish the message today by saying in unison verses 7 and 8 on the screen. Personalize this like we did earlier when David quoted from Revelation. Don't think about the old man don't think about somebody else. Think about yourself. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Can that be said about you? Can that be said about me on this day? Let's say it together. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing.